Chapter forty six of Peveril of the Peak by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Here stand I, tight and trim, quick of eye, though little of limb. He who denieth the word I have spoken, betwixt him and me shall lances be broken lay of the little john de Santre. when charles had reconducted the countess of derby into the presence chamber before he parted with her he entreated her in a whisper to be governed by good counsel and to regard her own safety and then turned easily from her as if to distribute his attentions equally among the other guests these were a good deal circumscribed at the instant by the arrival of a party of five or six musicians one of whom a german under the patronage of the duke of buckingham was particularly renowned for his performance on the violoncello but had been detained in inactivity in the antechamber by the non-arrival of his instrument which had now at length made its appearance the domestic who placed it before the owner shrouded as it was within its wooden case seemed heartily glad to be rid of his load and lingered for a moment as if interested in discovering what sort of instrument was to be produced that could weigh so heavily his curiosity was satisfied and in a most extraordinary manner for while the musician was fumbling with the key the case being for his greater convenience placed upright against the wall the case and instrument itself at once flew open and out started the dwarf geoffrey hudson at sight of whose unearthly appearance thus suddenly introduced the ladies shrieked and ran backwards the gentlemen started and the poor german on seeing the portentous delivery of his fiddle-case tumbled on the floor in an agony supposing it might be that his instrument was metamorphosed into the strange figure which supplied its place so soon however as he recovered he glided out of the apartment and was followed by most of his companions hudson said the king my little old friend i am not sorry to see you though buckingham who i suppose is the purveyor of this jest hath served us up but a stale one will your majesty honour me with one moment's attention said hudson assuredly my good friend said the king old acquaintances are springing up in every quarter to-night and our leisure can hardly be better employed than in listening to them it was an idle trick of buckingham he added in a whisper to ormond to send the poor thing hither especially as he was to-day tried for the affair of the plot at any rate he comes not to ask protection from us having had the rare fortune to come off plot-free he is but fishing i suppose for some little present or pension the little man precise in court etiquette yet impatient of the king's delaying to attend to him stood in the midst of the floor 
most valorously pawing and prancing like a scots pony assuming the airs of a war-horse waving meanwhile his little hat with the tarnished feather and bowing from time to time as if impatient to be heard speak on then my friend said charles if thou hast some poetical address penned for thee out with it that thou mayest have time to repose these flourishing little limbs of thine no poetical speech have i most mighty sovereign answered the dwarf but in plain and most loyal prose i do accuse before this company the once noble duke of buckingham of high treason well spoken and manfully get on man said the king who never doubted that this was the introduction to something burlesque or witty not conceiving that the charge was made in solemn earnest a great laugh took place among such courtiers as heard and among many who did not hear what was uttered by the dwarf the former entertained by the extravagant emphasis and gesticulation of the little champion and the others laughing not the less loud that they laughed for example's sake and upon trust what matter is there for all this mirth said he very indignantly is it fit subject for laughing that i geoffrey hudson knight do before king and nobles impeach george villiers duke of buckingham of high treason no subject of mirth certainly said charles composing his features but great matter of wonder come cease this mouthing and prancing and mummery if there be a jest come out with it man and if not even get thee to the buffet and drink a cup of wine to refresh thee after thy close lodging i tell you my liege said hudson impatiently yet in a whisper intended only to be audible by the king that if you spend overmuch time in trifling you will be convinced by dire experience of buckingham's treason i tell you i asseverate to your majesty two hundred armed fanatics will be here within the hour to surprise the guards stand back ladies said the king or you may hear more than you will care to listen to my lord of buckingham's jests are not always you know quite fitted for female ears besides we want a few words in private with our little friend you my lord of ormond you arlington and he named one or two others may remain with us the gay crowd bore back and dispersed through the apartment the men to conjecture what the end of this mummery as they supposed it was likely to prove and what jest as sedley said the base fiddle had been brought to bed of and the ladies to admire and criticise the antique dress and richly embroidered ruff and hood of the countess of derby to whom the queen was showing particular attention and now in the name of heaven and amongst friends said the king to the dwarf what means all this treason my lord the king treason to his majesty of england when i was chambered in yonder instrument my lord the high dutch fellows who bore me carried me into a certain chapel 
to see as they said to each other that all was ready sire i went where base fiddle never went before even into a conventicle of fifth monarchists and when they brought me away the preacher was concluding his sermon and was within a uh, now to apply of setting off the bellwether at the head of his flock to surprise your majesty in your royal court i heard him through the sound holes of my instrument when the fellow set me down for a moment to profit by this precious doctrine it would be singular said lord arlington were there some reality at the bottom of this buffoonery for we know these wild men have been consulting together to-day and five conventicles have held a solemn fast nay said the king if that be the case they are certainly determined on some villainy might i advise said the duke of ormond i would summon the duke of buckingham to this presence his connection with the fanatics are well known though he affects to conceal them you would not my lord do his grace the injustice to treat him as a criminal on such a charge as this said the king however he added after a moment's consideration buckingham is accessible to every sort of temptation from the flightiness of his genius i would not be surprised if he nourished hopes of an aspiring kind i think we had some proof of it lately hark ye chiffinch go to him instantly and bring him here on any fair pretext thou canst devise i would fain save him from what lawyers call an overt act the court would be dull as a dead horse were buckingham to miscarry will not your majesty order the horse-guards to turn out said young selby who was present and an officer no selby said the king i like not horse-play but let them be prepared and let the high bailiff collect his civil officers and command the sheriffs to summon their worshipful attendants from javelin men to hangmen and have them in readiness in case of any sudden tumult double the sentinels on the doors of the palace and see no strangers get in or out said the duke of ormond where are the foreign fellows who brought in the dwarf they were sought for but they were not to be found they had retreated leaving their instruments a circumstance which seemed to bear hard on the duke of buckingham their patron hasty preparations were made to provide resistance to any effort of despair which the supposed conspirators might be driven to and in the meanwhile the king withdrawing with arlington ormond and a few other councillors into the cabinet where the countess of derby had had her audience resumed the examination of the little discoverer his declaration though singular was quite coherent the strain of romance intermingled with it being in fact a part of his character which often gained him the fate of being laughed at when he would otherwise have been pitied or even esteemed he commenced with a flourish about his sufferings for the plot which the impatience of ormond would have cut short had not the king reminded his grace that atop 
when it is not flogged must needs go down of itself at the end of a definite time while the application of the whip may keep it up for hours geoffrey hudson was therefore allowed to exhaust himself on the subject of his prison-house which he informed the king was not without a beam of light an emanation of loveliness a mortal angel quick of step and beautiful of eye who had more than once visited his confinement with words of cheering and comfort by my faith said the king they fare better in newgate than i was aware of who would have thought of the little gentleman being solaced with female society in such a place i pray your majesty said the dwarf after the manner of a solemn protest to understand nothing amiss my devotion to this fair creature is rather like what we poor catholics pay to the blessed saints than mixed with any grosser quality indeed she seems rather a sylphid of the rosicrucian system than aught more carnal being slighter lighter and less than the females of common life who have something of that coarseness of make which is doubtless derived from the sinful and gigantic race of the antediluvians well say on man quoth charles didst thou not discover this sylph to be a mere mortal wench after all who i my liege oh fie nay little gentleman do not be so particularly scandalized said the king i promise you i suspect you of no audacity of gallantry time wears fast said the duke of ormond impatiently and looking at his watch chiffinch hath been gone ten minutes and ten minutes will bring him back true said charles gravely come to the point hudson and tell us what this female has to do with your coming hither in this extraordinary manner everything my lord said little hudson i saw her twice during my confinement in newgate and in my thought she is the very angel who guards my life and welfare for after my acquittal as i walked towards the city with two tall gentlemen who had been in trouble along with me and just while we stood to our defence against a rascally mob and just as i had taken possession of an elevated situation to have some vantage against the great odds of numbers i heard a heavenly voice sound as it were from a window behind me counselling me to take refuge in a certain house to which measure i readily persuaded my gallant friends the peverils who have always shown themselves willing to be counselled by me showing therein their wisdom at once and modesty said the king but what chanced next be brief be like thyself man for a time sire said the dwarf it seemed as if i were not the principal object of attention first the younger peveril was withdrawn from us by a gentleman of venerable appearance though something smacking of a puritan having boots of neat's leather and wearing his weapon without a sword-knot 
when master julian returned he informed us for the first time that we were in the power of a body of armed fanatics who were as the poet says prompt for direful act and your majesty will remark that both father and son were in some measure desperate and disregardful from that moment of the assurances which i gave them that the star which i was bound to worship would in her own time shine forth in signal of our safety may it please your majesty in answer to my hilarious exhortations to confidence the father did but say tosh and the son shah which showed how men's prudence and manners are disturbed by affliction nevertheless these two gentlemen the peverels forming a strong opinion of the necessity there was to break forth were it only to convey a knowledge of these dangerous passages to your majesty commenced an assault on the door of the apartment i also assisting with the strength which heaven hath given and some threescore years have left me we could not as it unhappily proved manage our attempt so silently but that our guards overheard us and entering in numbers separated us from each other and compelled my companions at point of pike and poniard to go to some other and more distant apartment thus separating our fair society i was again enclosed in the now solitary chamber and i will own that i felt a certain depression of soul but when baal is at highest as the poet singeth boot is at nighest for a door of hope was suddenly opened in the name of god my liege said the duke of ormond let this poor creature's story be translated into the language of common sense by some of the scribblers of romances about court and we may be able to make meaning of it geoffrey hudson looked with a frowning countenance of reproof upon the impatient old irish nobleman and said with a very dignified air that one duke upon a poor gentleman's hand was enough at a time and that but for his present engagement and dependency with the duke of buckingham he would have endured no such terms from the duke of ormond abate your valour and diminish your choler at our request most puissant sir geoffrey hudson said the king and forgive the duke of ormond for my sake but at all events go on with your story geoffrey hudson laid his hand on his bosom and bowed in proud and dignified submission to his sovereign then waved his forgiveness gracefully to ormond accompanied with a horrible grin which he designed for a smile of gracious forgiveness and conciliation under the duke's favour then he proceeded when i said a door of hope was opened to me i meant a door behind the tapestry from whence issued that fair vision yet not so fair as lustrously dark like the beauty of a continental night where the cloudless azure sky shrouds us in a veil more lovely than that of day but i note your majesty's impatience enough i followed my beautiful guide into an apartment where there lay strangely intermingled 
warlike arms and musical instruments amongst these i saw my own late place of temporary obscurity a violoncello to my astonishment she turned around the instrument and opening it behind the pressure of a spring showed that it was filled with pistols daggers and ammunition made up in bandoliers these she said are this night destined to surprise the court of the unwary charles your majesty must pardon my using her own words but if thou darest go in their stead thou mayest be the saviour of king and kingdoms if thou art afraid keep secret i will myself try the adventure now may heaven forbid that geoffrey hudson were craven enough said i to let thee run such a risk you know not you cannot know what belongs to such ambuscades and concealments i am accustomed to them i have lurked in the pocket of a giant and have formed the contents of a pasty get in then she said and lose no time nevertheless while i prepared to obey i will not deny that some cold apprehensions came over my hot valour and i confessed to her if it might be so i would rather find my way to the palace on my own feet but she would not listen to me saying hastily i would be intercepted or refused admittance and that i must embrace the means she offered me of introduction into the presence and when there tell the king to be on his guard little more is necessary for once the scheme is known it becomes desperate rashly and boldly i bid adieu to the daylight which was then fading away she withdrew the contents of the instrument destined for my concealment and having put them behind the chimney-board introduced me in their room as she clasped me in i implored her to warn the men who were to be entrusted with me to take heed and keep the neck of the violoncello uppermost but ere i had completed my request i found i was left alone and in darkness presently two or three fellows entered whom by their language which i in some sort understood i perceived to be germans and under the influence of the duke of buckingham i heard them receive from the leader a charge how they were to deport themselves when they should assume the concealed arms and for i will do the duke no wrong i understood their orders were precise not only to spare the person of the king but also those of the courtiers and to protect all who might be in the presence against an eruption of the fanatics in other respects they had charge to disarm the gentlemen pensioners in the guard-room and in fine to obtain the command of the court the king looked disconcerted and thoughtful at this communication and bade lord arlington to see that selby quietly made search into the contents of the other cases which had been brought as containing musical instruments he then signed to the dwarf to proceed in his story asking him again and again and very solemnly whether he was sure that he heard the duke's name mentioned as commanding or approving this action 
the dwarf answered in the affirmative this said the king is carrying the frolic somewhat far the dwarf proceeded to state that he was carried after his metamorphosis into the chapel where he heard the preacher seemingly about the close of his harangue the tenor of which he also mentioned words he said could not express the agony which he felt when he found that his bearer in placing the instrument in a corner was about to invert its position in which case he said human frailty might have proved too great for love for loyalty for true obedience nay for the fear of death which was like to ensue on discovery and he concluded that he greatly doubted he could have stood on his head for many minutes without screaming aloud i could not have blamed you said the king placed in such a posture in the royal oak i must needs have roared myself is this all you have to tell us of this strange conspiracy sir geoffrey hudson replied in the affirmative and the king presently subjoined go my little friend your services shall not be forgotten since thou hast crept into the bowels of a fiddle for our service we are bound in duty and conscience to find you a more roomy dwelling in future it was a violoncello if your majesty is pleased to remember said the little jealous man not a common fiddle though for your majesty's service i would have crept even into a kit whatever of that nature could have been performed by any subject of ours thou wouldst have enacted in our behalf of that we hold ourselves certain withdraw for a little and hark ye for the present beware what you say about this matter let your appearance be considered do you mark me as a frolic of the duke of buckingham not a word of conspiracy were it not better to put him under some restraint sire said the duke of ormond when hudson had left the room it is unnecessary said the king i remember the little wretch of old fortune to make him the model of absurdity has closed a most lofty soul within that little miserable carcass for wielding his sword and keeping his word he is a perfect don quixote in decimo octavo he shall be taken care of but odds fish my lords is not this freak of buckingham too villainous and ungrateful he had not the means of being so had your majesty said the duke of ormond been less lenient on other occasions my lord my lord said charles hastily your lordship is buckingham's known enemy we will take other and more impartial counsel arlington what think you of all this may it please your majesty said arlington i think the thing is absolutely impossible unless the duke has had some quarrel with your majesty of which we know nothing his grace is very flighty doubtless but this seems actual insanity why faith said the king some words passed betwixt us this morning his duchess it seems is dead and to lose no time his grace has cast his eyes about for means of repairing the loss 
and had the assurance to ask our consent to woo my niece lady anne which of course your majesty rejected said the statesman and not without rebuking his assurance added the king in private sire or before any witnesses said the duke of ormond before no one said the king excepting indeed little chiffinch and he you know is no one hank ille lacrimae said ormond i know his grace well while the rebuke of his aspiring petulance was a matter betwixt your majesty and him he might have let it pass by but a check before a fellow from whom it was likely enough to travel through the court was a matter to be revenged here selby came hastily from the other room to say that his grace of buckingham had just entered the presence chamber the king rose let a boat be in readiness with a party of the yeomen said he it may be necessary to attach him of treason and send him to the tower should not a secretary of state's warrant be prepared said ormond no my lord duke said the king sharply i still hope that the necessity may be avoided End of chapter forty six